So hello, everybody, and welcome to Morgan Bell's virtual book launch. Um, we are in the season of the coronavirus, and everything has been canceled. It's been a very strange time, but Morgan's book is so good. Here it is, idiomatic for the people, and she needs a book launch, and we're just going to do it remotely. So we're going for it. Um, this is the first one. on my end. <laughs> Backwards books on both ends. Um, this is the first time I've ever done a virtual book launch. I think it's probably Morgan's first time. Definitely, definitely. Bear with us. This is not going to be smooth and pro. It's going to be raw and real, but we're going to do it. Yeah. So um, what I thought I'd do is I'll introduce you, Morgan. I'll do a little bit of a, a bump about your book and how fabulous it is. And maybe you can read a couple of poems from the books. And I might even ask you a couple of questions. How does that sound? Awesome. That sounds really good. Okay. Brilliant. So let's talk about Morgan. Morgan Bell is a Novocastrian, born and bred, <laughs> and uh, also an Australian writer of short stories, including the short story collection, Sniggerless Boundulations, which was published in 2014, and Laissez-Faire, which was published in 2017. She's also a story contributor to local anthologies and community projects. And in 2014, she was shortlisted for the Hunter Writer Center's Travel Writing Prize for her anti-travel story, Don't Pay the Ferryman. In 2016, uh, Morgan edited Sproutlings, a compendium of little fictions, which I'm very proud to say I was in. Um, we did have a very fun in-person book launch for that um, back in the pre-coronavirus days. Um, and <laughs> speculation fiction anthology and um, that was for an invisible elephant press and she has since taught many creative writing workshops and um, is very well known for her fiction and editing and so when Morgan first told me she'd written a poetry collection I was very surprised I had no idea she wrote poetry um, though I'd been enjoying her fiction for many years when she sent me an early version of the collection, I was floored. Um, the work was extraordinary, fresh, visual, powerful, arresting. Um, these are really fantastic concrete poems. They move across the page in ways that are artistic. And uh, it's gonna be hard to convey that to you um, through Morgan's readings. I will show you a little bit of that, but I think you really just need to get a hold of the book um, to see what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> we'll finish up this by telling you how to do that as well. Um, so the poem, these, these are poems that flow and swoop. Sometimes they resolve to a point, they fade out, they redact, they march boldly forward in textual arrows. Each poem tells a story that is, it's not just semantics, it's visceral. So even before you get into the meaning of the work, um, the actual visual of the poem holds you there, drawing into a collective story that covers things like trauma, grief, and recovery. Um, idiomatic for the people reminds me a little of, of other textual and visual poetry like Erica Baum's Dog Ear. There's a, a careful precision and almost a decontextualized multi-pathway play where words have meanings that um, they, they seem to work in and out of the subconscious. There's very multimedia um, elements of musical and they're intellectual. And um, I'm just gonna see if I can show you an example because you really do need to see what I'm talking about. Um, 
I know you can't see it, but maybe you can get the sense of it, of the way the words kind of flow down the page, um, with the way the text, for example, Again, I know it's backwards on here, but the way the text changes font. I love how everyone always opens it to the page with the swear word on it. <laughs> that happens. It's like, it's like some kind of um, mystical <laughs> thing where if you open the book to any page, it will be that page. Yeah. Just so we can, you know, we can um, actually tag this as explicit. I will just read yeah. it. <laughs> I'm, not afraid. I'm not afraid of swear words. I have teenagers. So I think there's only like one or two in it and everyone opens to that page. So it's great. Yeah. $350 like Tony Abbott, the motherfucker. He can't <laughs> surprise people. I, had, I just wanted to read that and say. It's a quote from a real life person. <laughs> but maybe I would say the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> Do you have a job? Do you have a job? <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm reading. I'm actually, I'm not asking you if you have a job, Morgan. I'm home <laughs> here, which actually, as you can see, again, I just want to try and give people who may be watching this um, a sense of how that text changes down the page and fades. And, and you can imagine as you're reading it, the kind of beginning with the yell, you know, there's a kind of sonic quality to the way that text works. It starts with a yell and then it lightens as it goes down and almost fades into obscurity. The text shrinks. It not only gets paler, but it actually gets smaller and a job changes to hub, changes to jbub, changes to biaoyab, <laughs> changes to java hutbu, um, and so on. So, you know, you, if you're reading that in your head, it really has a, it, you know, it, it, again, it creates a kind of meaning that is not just the language, but has a, a, a very visceral, very bodily sort of feel to it. I mean, here's another example. See this point coming down to a point. Um, and there's lots of, the, the whole book is like that. It's really unique um, in, in its concreteness. Um, you know, a little bit of Michael Farrell quality about it as well with some of the, the wording, but you know, it is, I, I'm not gonna compare it too much to anybody else because there's really nothing like it. It's totally unique to, it's, it's like Morgan Bell alone. And also, it, oh. <laughs> look at this little thing. Um, I love small books. I have a thing for small books. Um, they're not only inexpensive and cheap to post, which means that that's, kind of, I, I don't know, that kind of appeals to me democratically. It's easy to buy a cheap book, a small book, but also they literally do fit in your pocket. They can be carried around. Um, and this one is just so beautiful. It has like a, almost a William Morrissey cover. It's got little rabbits on the back. Um, I just as an object, in an, and it's got this lovely quote from me on the back as well. But as a, you know, <laughs> as, a, as an object, it's a, it's a really, really nice thing. So again, I'm going to let you um, hear Morgan read from the book, but I'll just say that the book is structured into five sections. So that's this fight, flight, freeze, and form. And which um, for anybody who knows, these are of course the four Fs of threat response. So that's the PTSD typology of survival. Um, which Morgan handles with incredible subtlety, evoking voices that mirror corporate taxonomy, um, psycholinguistics, and code as well, computer code. So there's a real um, poetic subtext that kind of goes along with there. You know, you have HTML um, code, and it was tempting to just try and see what that renders to, but I didn't do that. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, it's nearly, I think it would nearly work if the... Uh... <laughs> if the bits inside the code meant anything in computer language, but yeah, it's close. 
So, you know, sometimes the work is intensely personal and, and linear and progresses just like memoir. Um, and one example of that is, for example, too loud, too quiet loudly. And I'll just read a tiny bit. Um, it was the day after I escaped being a lot of fun that I realized my clothes had gotten louder the more I faded away. Everyone knows Baby Spice doesn't sing and isn't really a baby. She's a sexy kitten in her terrible 20s, or she has to pretend to be. So that's, I mean, really powerful um, and very moving and very, I guess, very memoir-like and linear. Um, but in some ways, that's a trick <laughs> because the poetry often becomes slippery and breaks into dialogue in the same poem, in fact, that sounds almost like a, a primal call, something almost unconscious, responsive anger that's confronting, borrowing words from current affairs and overheard voices, coalescing into anagrams, acrostics, puzzles, ekphrastic stimulus. Um, so it, but then just as it seems as though that confrontation becomes too intense, the work retreats, it redacts, it begins to develop a different kind of meaning in white space in this kind of almost I am not here, which is another line from the work. Um, and the reader is forced to engage with this silence almost visually as the work fades into a place of deep and in some ways unspeakable vulnerability. Throughout the book, um, Nick Veeman, is that right, Veeman? Yeah, I believe so. He's a, uh, a Russian artist that I found online, so I haven't actually heard the pronunciation of his voice, but uh, in my head I say Vooman. <laughs> so throughout the work there are illustrations, um, what you call survival response rabbits. <laughs> I love those little rabbits, they're throughout the whole book, along with your own exquisite typesetting, um, which is just really quite arresting. And all of that creates a sense of motion and almost a cartoony quality that not only lightens the mood of work that sometimes is pretty intense, but also reminds, reminds us that this is almost an Alice in Wonderland world. It's a kind of dream, dream logic. It's real, um, hyper real, but not necessarily um, sentence real. <laughs> it's, more, it's more real than real, that, that kind of um, nightmarish dream logic, but that's also kind of blackly funny. There's wry humor throughout the work, repetitive rhythms, aphorisms, word plays, puns, and of course, as the title would indicate, idiomatic, um, <laughs> idioms, which are everywhere. So, you know, why bark if you have dogs? <laughs> if you have dogs, why bite? A, a bite, dogs, um, you know, I now pronounce you man and dog. <laughs> so the two. Fido Chum Pal. Um, there's a constant nod throughout the book to modern culture, including television and kitsch references like Carrie Fisher, strangled by her own bra, <laughs> Faye Grant from the sci-fi series V, and of course, as we just quoted, um, the incomparable, maybe that's the wrong word for it, Tony Abbott. <clears throat> of course, the <laughs> like, doesn't he make the book a little bit dirty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I can say him. Um, of course, the book's title itself is a tribute to R.E.M.'s seminal album, Automatic for the People, um, which is also referenced in the poem Mine on the Moon, a, plain, uh, a play on the album's biggest hit, Man on the Moon. It, if you can... <laughs> if you believe... I love that you got that without me telling you in any way. You just... Because you know your music so well. You're like, R.E.M.? I'm like... <laughs> yeah, I, that's my age as much as anything um <laughs> if you believe i'm not gonna sing but they put a man uh, 
she's singing as she says she's not going to sing. I'm trying to stop. Yeah, I'm not going to sing. Don't sing. I won't. <laughs> People don't want to hear you sing. Okay. E.E. Um, <laughs> e. Cummings is referenced in the notes. And um, although he's not referenced, I don't think, I, I can't help but think, as I always do when I come across work of this complexity, um, of Finnegan's Wake, in Joyce, James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, which I did study, in the lines, um, over Mott, near Riven Rent, he earned her. That, to me, just makes me think immediately of Finnegan's Wake. Mm. So, Idiomatic for the People is an exquisite collection. It's hugely ambitious for a first poetry collection. Um, as I mentioned, with its William Morris-style floral cover, its meticulous typesetting, and the deep blend of psycho psych psychological lyric and postmodern presentation that I keep finding myself going back to and rereading, this book is a joy. Um, so, you know, whether or not we can meet in person and do this with an audience or whether you're seeing this online um, and that's the only place you can see it from the confines of your disease-free household, um, I am still going to take this opportunity to declare Idiomatic for the People officially launched. Congratulations, Morgan, on this exceptional work. I'll be the audience. <laughs> Maybe um, at some point in the future to put on a, a, a claptrap. A clap yes. <laughs> Back right now. Um, uh, yeah. Not too much of the canned laughter, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, a bit of applause. A bit of applause. So, congratulations. Uh, seriously, I'm not, I, I'm not saying this just because, you know, you're a fabulous person and um, I adore you as a friend, but this is really quite an extraordinary book. So well done you on, on creating this thing. Thank you so much. <laughs> and yes, I have it like all the, every poet I know um, submits poetry everywhere and has it published and it's all beautiful. And uh, cause I'm like a little hermit in my bedroom. I was like, oh, this isn't really poetry. <laughs> so I'll just make my little riddles and just be in my bedroom making weird stuff. But um, I had a great opportunity to swap uh, mentorship with Magdalena um, and we kind of exchanged drafts of um, projects we were working on. And I got a fabulous draft of a novel that um, had a bit of like a time travel uh, aspect in it and I, I love speculative fiction. So um, I, <laughs> I went through that and looked at like the structure of that. And I said to Magdalena, well, you know, since I've got a poet in front of me <laughs> and a well-known poet, I might as well give you this poetry project, which I wasn't even really looking at. I was just doing in the background a bit. And I sent it to her and she was like, this is, this is, good. I'm like, oh really? Maybe I should move this to the front of the pile. So yeah, I can't, I was a little afraid of it being, um, obviously it's idiom, so it's um, going to be a little cliche. <laughs> so uh, It is so not cliche. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. Hopefully, hopefully I've freshened them. Hopefully I've freshened them up a little bit. But um uh yeah i kind of thought and also i'm not as well read um in poetry like i'm not uh like an academic 
in literature. I haven't studied. I studied engineering <laughs> at university. Yeah, so, honestly, um, that comes through. And that's part of, I think in many ways, it's kind of part of what makes the work so fresh. Because yeah, you- so I kind of, I, I was a little unsure as to what had already been done. Um, I was trying to be like a bit of an autodidact and read as much as I could in poetry. And I spent a whole year beforehand just trying to absorb as much as I could. And a lot of local poets too, including Magdalena. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of like, oh, is this the 59th time somebody's done this? <laughs> um, like, surely someone must have put something in a triangle before. And uh, yeah, a lot of self-doubt about how um, original that it might have been but um yeah it was such a great confidence boost having magdalena as a mentor and someone to that i know is so well read and um just so helpful and even on a few like line edits i I remember saying to her like on a couple of them like um this is formatted down to the um tenth of a millimeter so we can't move anything here but this one, okay, you can move something in this one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, really helpful but delicate. Um, I really appreciated your help, Magdalena. At, um, yeah, and the fabulous blurb. Oh, my God. I didn't even know you were going to do that. And then that was the, the perfect thing to put on the back. So, well, thank I'm you. Part of it. So, I, I know it's hard because, again, a lot of the work in, in the book is very much um, visual. Uh, this is a lot of this is is quite pagey, if you like, um, and needs yeah. in its context, in its structure. But if you think you can, maybe pick a couple that you think would would read well, and maybe just read us a bit. Can you do that? Yeah, actually, <laughs> because I faced this problem before, where I did a very small launch up here where I live at Port Stephens, <laughs> and I had the book in front of me, and I'm like. I don't even know how to read this aloud. Like it really is written to the page. So uh, on something like um, Mine on the Moon, which I've got there, I actually wrote a reader's copy as well. So um, I might do that and read it as I intended it to sound rather than read all the brackets. Um, So yeah, this is in the fawn section. It's the first poem. So Fawn number one, Mine on the Moon. And these, a few of these, there's four of them in here that are all um, anagrams of the word heteronormative, as in the opposite of queer. Um, So, yeah, it lends a really nice, strange, foreign sound to it when you're only using, you know, half of the letters of the alphabet. Here we go. Uh, Meet her there at the mine on the moon, her heart too eaten to remain on earth. There, to tame her naive air, he met her at the river arm, the torrent ran to him. The ammonite entreat her to thieve an emotive term, mine. Heave to remove the iron in the ore, on the Rome home have him mention her name, the time to hear her over in a moment. Moon over Mott, near Riven Rent, he earned her. So, yes, that's my, my way of reading a very strangely formatted poem. So tell, tell me a little about that poem. I mean, I know, I know it's Man on the Moon, 
um, or it's sort of built around yeah. the song Man on the Moon, which is built around Andy Kaufman, the comedian, um, and the film uh, that was made about that as well. Um, just talk to me about that poem and how it came about and your thoughts about the Yeah, um, <clears throat> when I, I kind of started, I did the project as a whole, so I had like just a bunch of ideas that I kind of dumped down into a folder and then I wanted to make it really parallel. So I wanted to make, um, you know, four sections and then within the sections I've got like the, um, like the rabbits at the beginning of each section and there's five poems in each section and they kind of, they follow an order. So the first one is, a um, anagram because I love little word puzzles and I'd actually read this is typical me um, I had actually read a um, like an open for submissions like a call for submissions um, from oh, who was it from oh I'm totally blanking on the name uh, it's a poetry press um in sydney and they wrote um part of it they have this amazing uh page calling for like this is our style and they're kind of quite a queer punk activist kind of thing and they'd written about um you know we want commentary on our australian hellscape and it was just really appealing and they'd used the word heteronormative in it and um as a queer person myself and someone who uh, especially in early years of uni, like I had a lot of uh, queer activist friends. So the word heteronormative, like we're just saying that all the time. And it's funny how you get later in life, like I'm nearly 40 now, um, and you lose a lot of that language uh, when you're around people that it's not that meaningful to. Um, and I got another... Um, I got refreshed on how much I enjoy that word. Um, so yeah, there's four poems in here that are anagrams of heteronormative, uh, the idea being, you know, what's left out when everything is just heteronormative. And like as though the, the other letters are the queer letters and, you know, if we filter them out um, of our writing, of our life, than of our society then you know what are you left with and some like that one's one of the more romantic kind of ones but it still has more of a um like a gender rollsy kind of simmering prelude to some domestic violence kind of just that tension that comes with some of those more um heteronormative relationships that can be toxic to both men and women. Uh, and then there's, you know, other ones in here uh, that were part of the anagrams. I'm trying to actually put my finger on one. I mean, that one to me. Oh, the one that you mentioned before, um, I'm not here. Mm. Uh, that were like, lit that is a literal. Um, so the missing letters are there. They're just oh, hold that one up again. I do love that the way that one looks. It's so unique. Yeah. Which way am I going? This way. Yeah, that's, I can, <laughs> you get the idea. 
from that. Yeah, <laughs> get the idea. I've got some uh, photos on, oh, is that it? There you go. There's my skills at lining something up in front of a camera. Um, so, yeah, so they're not, in that one, they're, they're not missing. They're just faded and you can see the effect of how choppy the words look um, when the queer letters are disappearing. So they're there, but they're just kind of faded and in the background. Um, so yeah, I worked with it a few times, and the, probably the um, the most like aggressive or violent one uh, was the very first one, which is like the triangle one. Um, so that was using all the more um, violent kind of language, and they're all they're all words that you know, they all have double meanings, like they can be nice words as well, but the sounds of them are all mashed together. Do um, you think you could read that one? It... Yeah, I'll read some of that one. So yeah, this is the very first poem. Uh, it's in the fight section. So the little, um, my little rabbits, oh, they're so cute. But they are kind of scary as well. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this is uh, fight one, hammer at home. So once again with the um, anagrams. Hammer at home to him, never root an it or a homo man, never enter the rear, hone in on the meat mitten tit, renovate vain terror, have no honour in the naive mate, to taint, to tame, eat the rim, over hormone trim, have more non-men, ram the iron main vein, earn the invert he-rooter, one orientation, to retire home, rotten homo, no harm in tarnation, torment them here, orate the hate rhyme, reiteration time, Revert to the overt, even in their era. Mention their intent to the otter, amen. Hit the maven, riven, tear at her throat over an intimate motion. Moan, venerate the mother, either me, meet me here or arrive there. So yeah, just a, a way of taking basically from the same set of words. And I had lists, like, <laughs> I'd listed out like probably thousands of words and selected, kind of curated um, uh, ones for each type of section. So there's one in the fight, flight, um, freeze and fawn. Um, mm -hmm. Just, yeah. And I guess you can't, you can't tell with the reading, but as, as those words get shorter and shorter and come down to that point, there is a, a real sense of tension of them being honed in and the choices being yeah. Made. But yeah, being very restricted. Mm -hmm. um, and there, a lot of them are um, kind of near words. So they feel threatening, even though there might not be a huge threat in there having, um, all those sounds so close to each other, it does become like a soundscape. And that's 
some of the poems that I like the most are those um, E. Cummings soundscape ones where it it does make sense, but it's near nonsense. So, um, but what you're getting is just a feel, like you start feeling like something's dirty or weird or um, whatever it might be, just from the sound. Um, so yeah, I find that really interesting. Almost like music works in terms of creating meaning that is not necessarily yeah. verbal, but is actually yeah. meaning. But it, yeah, and at the same time, it was important for me to use real like English dictionary words and have them in a readable sentence structure, like rather than just putting a bunch of um, syllables down. Um, and there is that to have them. Too, to the book, you know, that is continually going back to this notion of, of, you know, what you said about like being an outsider about trauma about you know finding you know where to fit in these structures you know where is the i in all of these poems you know sometimes it's redacted and sometimes it's it, it's yeah there but it's buried you know there's it's almost like that that running puzzle that goes through it yeah and we're so much um harnessed by the language we have to express ourselves so mm -hmm. We only get those, whatever, I want to say 800 pages of dictionary. It's probably more. Um, that's what we get to say things. And the exact feeling that you might be experiencing, if it's not what the majority of people feel, it may not have been written before. Like the word might not even exist. And I know that happens a lot um, with Indigenous people, but there's words in the Indigenous languages that we just don't have analogues for um, in English. Like English is quite limited in a lot of ways. It's a big melting pot of a language, but some concepts we just don't capture the way other languages do. So yeah, it's a bit of an examination of that also. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And um, I'm not sure I'm qualified to talk about it, but I am very conscious of the fact that, the, that there is in fact a kind of, I don't want to use the word colonialism, but maybe that is the right word. Um, there is a yeah, kind of oppression in a linear structure. Yeah. Maybe your, some of what you're trying to do in this book is to, you know, use constraint to almost break that a little bit. Yeah. Or go beyond that or find something, you know, just a little bit outside of those constrictions, you know, and yeah. Taking and inverting things like, you know, advertising language, which is all about getting us to feel something as an impetus to the sell or an impetus to buy. And that's yeah. creating a lack in us as an impetus to buy. But, you know, poetry always, I think at its best, is always trying to subvert that or change that or open that out and saying, you know, there's so much, there's so much outside that. Yeah. So can I get you to read one more? Yes. Um, should I do? Oh, maybe I'll do, <laughs> I'll do another one that I gave myself a little um, note of how to read it. <laughs> so that's what it looks like on the page. Um, on the page. And now I'll do my magic and somehow read that aloud. Um, uh, it's 
freeze number two on the page. This only makes sense on the page. I only make sense on the page. I only exist. Uh, my, if only my existence made sense. I only exist on the page. This only exists in me. I make this only exist in me. I make sense only to me. My sense of myself only exists on the page. I only exist to make sense of this. The only extant, my only sentient, self only present, only, only, only. Mm. And I love that you're reading that off the page. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just a, it's just a fun play, isn't it? Because almost as if I have the, the perfect um, writer's moment for that in particular that one of literally bouncing out of bed like that five seconds before you go to sleep and it's like da -da 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 -da. jumped up I've got a little miniature whiteboard and I was like write that down write that down sometimes I do that and the next day I look and I go what the hell did that mean um but yeah that was the first two lines of that I think so thank you sleepy days <laughs> Well, it's a good technique and that's a good tip for anyone looking for a way to capture that, you know, those moments between waking and sleeping, because it, it really, again, it's something that poetry does, that can do, that po that prose can do too, but much more difficult and with much more difficulty. Yeah. Poetry kind of strives towards it, which is to, you know, bridge that gap between internal, yeah. out, you know, internal and um, external, between waking and sleeping, between, you know, who we are in our roles in life and, you know, all that other stuff that's going on underneath the surface of, of who we are. Yeah. Being able to just play with that and explore that and, and then, you know, bring it out in such a beautiful form is amazing. So again, I will say well done. And um, to finish this lovely virtual launch off and thank you for being my guinea pig in the first one. This is great. I think it's doable. It's, I think great. it's doable. But um, please tell everybody, how can they get a copy of this book? What's the best way? Um, it is available on Amazon. It's for sale on Amazon. It's also um, in the uh, Girls on Key poetry portal, which if you're like a native to Newcastle or Australia, uh, you might be familiar with that one. There's a lot of poetry books um, in there. I guess we could probably drop some links on the description or something. Probably. Yeah, I, I'm not sure where I'm going to put this up now. Um, probably, I'm thinking of a combination of places, but, you know, I might start with YouTube, but I might even put it up as an audio on, on Compulsive Reader Talks. But um, once I get the recording, yeah. I'll put it all over the place. And wherever, wherever I put it, I will add and share yeah ones to buy so but yeah definitely on amazon that's an easy one and um oh it's in mclean's bookstore at the moment they've been so lovely to the uh all the writers like all the artists that um lost gigs because of the coronavirus um yeah they've actually made the, it would have been the festival bookstore where most like independent um artists that's where you know you make a bit of your income for the year so they've actually moved it to being a virtual bookstore this year um 
which is great. Uh, so yeah, go on to McLean's bookstore, have a look, have a browse at everyone's work too. There's a lot of uh, things that were going to be launched this year, um, like poetry books, anthologies, more of your indie work, go and have a browse on there, recommend it. So they've, uh, yeah, everything they were going to have in person, I believe, is going to be um, on the virtual bookstore, which is marvellous. That too. Because you know, if, uh, if other people are like, um, if other people are like me, and they kind of put in a special order from their publisher or printer for the festival, you might have already put it in, which is what I did, and then you're that's not a big like you're a little bit out of pocket because um, uh, you know things get taken on consignment or you provide them at the venue yourself. So I think a lot of artists are in that bucket. Um, so yeah, McLean's have a little pile of mine. I've got a little pile of mine at home because this one that Magdalena and I are doing now, this is going to be held at, um, the press bookstore. Um, so yeah, I've got a little personal, um, <laughs> pile if anyone knows me and you want to send a, um, a message on Facebook, but yeah, and there's at least four places that you can get it. Absolutely. And do support local local authors, venues, independents, everybody needs support right now. So um, it's a great time as well. You know, like if you're a reader and I know you're a reader and I'm certainly a reader, um, isolation's kind of not such a bad thing. Yeah, what we do. <laughs> I've got plenty to do. I've got my stack. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we can cope with self-isolation, but usually the festival's our one gig where we get out of the house and know, absolutely. Um, swap, swap works with people. So Yeah, so get books. Yeah. Books can be sent and, uh, you know, it's a great time for that. So brilliant. I will include all that in the show notes. And Morgan, thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you and I'm glad we were able to still do this. I know this is brilliant. Thank you so much for suggesting this. Um, I think I said to you at the time, uh, oh, I, I know everyone would have the same feeling, but it's like, oh, I'm a bit gutted, like the, you know, the festival's not on, like it's completely understandable and I completely support everyone staying in their homes to, you know, protect our vulnerable um, citizens. Um, and I'm very grateful that everyone's doing that. But unfortunately, on a personal level, it's like, oh, that's my thing that I do, that I love. So that's I think a lot of people probably feel like that. And it's it's great that you've been able to replicate it um, here. So part of the excitement is just talking to you and I get to do that. So I don't feel like I've lost out on so much. Brilliant. I mean, I don't get 100 photos, but, you know, I wouldn't have anyway. <laughs> I'm often Magdalena's photographer <laughs> and I may go a little bit crazy because I try to capture her smile and I take a lot of photos. Yeah. So yeah, multi-talented. Um, thank awesome. you so much. Um, bye for now. Goodbye. <laughs>